Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, everybody. It's Gary Parrish. It's Friday, April 2nd, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports I Own College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. It's Final 4E here in Indianapolis. Norlander's here. I've been here now for a couple of days, and it is weird how quiet everything is, despite the Final Four being in town. We've both been here in Indianapolis for other Final Fours, where there's a real buzz on the streets, people everywhere. Nobody is on the streets. There is no buzz whatsoever. I don't guess I expected anything different, but it's still interesting to, to see it up close. Like we walked from the hotel to Lucas Oil yesterday, and I swear I don't think we passed a single person. Is it striking Whoa. to you how empty everything is? Yeah. Now, I haven't had it that bad. So uh, we are... It's wonderful to have GP in Indianapolis. We have not yet seen each other. We will be on the HQ set together on Sunday night. So we will do a little uh, podcast love in an HQ format in person for the first time in a very long time. But it's about a seven-minute walk, six-minute walk from my hotel to the uh, HQ set, which is right next to the CBS Sports Network set. And if you have not watched it yet, um, it's like it's big boy stuff. It's really, really cool. When I walk, I'm, I'm seeing like... Well, right now, actually, at the, uh, I don't know what the names of these streets intersections are, but there's a guy on a megaphone talking about Jesus, and he's been doing it for about four hours. I, so, saw, that guy, I saw that guy today when I went for a little walk. Yes, yeah, so he, he's out there uh, giving a sermon. He's fired up. He's, oh, he's, he's, he's definitely fired up. And then I'm seeing, like, there are some people, but it's not, I was thinking about this earlier in the morning walking back I was like it's Friday it's the Friday of the final four and like obviously we know what this whole deal is we know what the, we know what it's all about you limited fan capacity and everything I'm like in Indianapolis in a normal final four on the Friday before the games it is packed because the downtown area for anyone listening that's never been to downtown Indianapolis it is as walkable of a downtown as I think there is in the country because it's 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 extremely compact like you you can go to where you need to go in basically not even a one mile by one mile by one mile by one mile square. It's not even that big in terms of yeah, where you're. You're, you're, ne- you're not. You're a. Fif- you're never more than a fifteen minute walk from anywhere you're trying to go. Exactly, which makes Indianapolis an ideal spot to hold Final Fours, NFL Combines, even Super Bowls. It's it's. It's not uniquely built, but there aren't a lot of cities like this. So it is a bit weird, Parrish, that we have this, and it is just so relatively quiet. It just We were here in 2015, obviously, for the Final Four. You've been in Indianapolis for previous Final Fours even before that, and it does take a little bit of getting used to, but um, I'm not complaining because I'm using DoorDash every night, and it, the waits aren't that long. So the food, I'm getting my food in, in, in short order here, and uh, I think you're going to be in the building for the Final Four on Saturday. You'll notice, actually, even though it's limited fan capacity, uh, there's still a decent amount of noise there. Like the fans that do get in the building, they they uh, they help with the env- environment for sure. 
Have you been inside Lucas Oil yet to see the court set up? We were there today for a four-hour practice show that aired on CBS Sports Network. Like every team was was you know in the building on the court for like forty-five minutes. It went Houston, then Baylor, then UCLA, then Gonzaga, and the court setup is pretty cool. It's all shoved to one side yeah. of the of the dome floor. There's actually a concert stage on the other side because Miley Cyrus is doing. Um, a concert for frontline workers. And while we were in there yesterday, just doing a walkthrough mic checks, because we're doing all our shows you know, from two locations here in Indianapolis, but then they are back um, in New York in studio 44. So just trying to make sure everybody can talk to everybody. We did that yesterday. Miley's band was playing. They were, they were uh, walking through, if you will. Yeah. And uh, so that was loud while we were trying to, to get ready, but the, the, the court setup's cool. They got cardboard cutouts, which I love. It just makes it look good on television. Um, it, it's it, it's an interesting setup that that, from my perspective at least, you know, we'll see what it looks like with people in there. But um, it looks like they did it right. It'll 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 look good. It'll present well on television, which is entirely the point. Yeah, I had actually had a couple coaches that were knocked out of the tournament tell me, uh, just kind of in passing, uh, in the past couple of days. Yeah, they, the NCAA actually reached out, and we had to give them. Uh, three names. Apparently it's four, but the coaches thought it was three uh, players or, or whoever we wanted for cardboard cutouts to, to be in the stands to kind of fill out and make it look better. Cause the sweet 16 and elite eight did not have this. And then uh, I shared that tweet. And then I heard from a couple other people that said, yeah, no, I think it's every, every division one school actually is going to have representation there. So that's pretty cool. That will look good. Uh, I am aware of the Miley Cyrus stage setup because uh, Andy Katz has been texting me <laughs> updates. He was in there before <laughs> earlier on Friday and just sending me a couple photos. I was like, thanks, man. Appreciate this. Uh, and he actually. I did not see Miley. Miley was not there, but the band was there. Right. So, and then on my credential, uh, I have a, I guess I have a green strip. I don't know. There's, there's a slight differentiation between green and yellow, and I don't know what it is, but Andy's is yellow. And he said, what's the difference? I was like, I don't know, man. I actually think that that means you get to, to be on the stage when Miley Cyrus is performing. So if oh, you wow. want to go ahead and do that. <laughs> I think he thought I might have been serious. I wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, but he's enjoying it nonetheless. And that setup. This is a one-time only thing. I actually, I enjoyed how for the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, because you didn't need to have the court raised. See, when you play in the Final Four, the court is raised because if you're in the first, like, 30 rows, you would not be able to see the basketball if the court wasn't raised. So they raised it out of necessity for sight lines. That's not a problem this year. Uh, so it was kind of, I, I liked how it was a normal court, if you will, for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. I believe that will be the case for the Final Four as well as the courts on one side. And judging off of what you said, plus what I've seen from the games, they have dressed it up as well as they possibly could while allowing room for fans there. So uh, all in all, like, you know, the NCAA, Dan Gavin, everyone tied to that, Joanne Scott, everyone tied to this, has been working on this for a year. It's never going to be perfect. There's been some drawbacks, but I think, uh, at least in terms of presentation, they've done about as good as they could do. I, I like, I saw it up close, and I was, I was impressed. I was like, this looks really good. The only thing, and I, I'm sure there's an obvious answer for this, or at least a sensible, maybe, maybe, maybe not so obvious since I can't think of it. But you know, they're they're having like 25% capacity, right? Something like that. When you shove the court all the way to one side, you eliminate like 75% of the seats in the dome. And so, um, and then you add the cardboard cutouts in there. Like there's a lot of cardboard cutouts. Like would, I wish I would have taken a picture. There's almost no empty seats, you know, uh, in, in the first two levels. It's all, almost, almost all cardboard cutouts. So I was just sort of 
you already have limited capacity, and by moving the court all the way over here, now you limit that capacity. Um, it just seemed I, – I, listen, I'm all for it because it's going to look great on television. You're going to put something on America's Most Watched Network. It needs to look great on television. It's a network of stars. But they, they – having – I think I'm saying this right. You already have limited capacity, and when you shove the court all the way aside, you limit even that capacity to where you're not going to hit a very big number at all, I don't think at least. Yeah, I don't. That's a good point. I don't listen. There's a reason for all of this, uh, and I'm I'm also curious. Like, I don't know if you got to look on this or not, but when this gets televised on Saturday, for you know, almost our entire audience listening to this, that's not going to be in the building. Is there a is there going to be a set? There's got to be a set for CBS and Turner in the building, right? I mean, uh, where do we know where that's going to be, or is it going to emanate from outside the stadium? We have a set today. We will. We have an outside the set, uh, stadium set, and that's where we'll be tomorrow during the day, Sunday during the day, Monday during the day, and Monday post game. Um, but we also have a set um, inside Lucas Oil. It's it's just off the court, but further off the court than it would other than it would be in a normal situation. And I mean, like you know, plexiglass walls, plexiglass between each of our seats. Um, you know, just everything is very you know, very cautious, like even in studio in New York, we've been sitting at a desk, social distanced, but we haven't had plexiglass in between us. Now we have in the bullpen, like when we're not on actual TV, there's plexiglass in there. But when we sit on the set in New York, there's no plexiglass separating me from say Brent Stover or Adam Zucker or Wally Zerbiak on this set inside Lucas oil. And it might just be, it was required by Indiana state health officials. There are the plexiglass shields behind us separating us from the court and also between us separating us from each other and i believe the 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 turner set is is similar gotcha all right um you want to break down these games real quick let's you want to talk about these games well we're going to talk about them again before they actually tip off on video but you want to just dive into this one more time for podcast yeah, let's get into the final four games next uh, but first let me remind you about cbs sports hq the ncaa tournament Still unfolding, but we only have three games to go. College basketball season will be over in three days. But if you want to stay up to date with everything else in the sports world, the best place to do it, CBS Sports HQ. It's your streaming answer. And when news breaks, and it always does, CBS Sports HQ will be on it immediately. Sports never sleeps, and neither does CBS Sports HQ. It's available on your computer, your phone, via the CBS Sports app, and your connected TV. I stream it all day. You should, too. CBS Sports HQ, a free 24-hour Sports News Network. All right, Deadleg, let's get to the games. And we'll discuss them in the order that they're going to be played. So Saturday, 5.14 p.m. Eastern, Houston against Baylor inside Lucas Oil. Baylor listed as a five-point favorite. The total is 134.5. You can watch it on CBS, America's Most Watched Network. It is the network of stars. Um, I, according to the point spread, this is going to be the more competitive game. Um, and I do think this will be a competitive game. I would be, you know, Baylor, everybody's focused on Gonzaga blowing everybody out because it's true and it's been impressive. Baylor's won its four games by an average of 14.3 points in this NCAA tournament. They won every game by at least nine. I would be surprised if they run away from, from Houston. I think this is going to be one where, you know, we're at the under four and we've got a game very much still undecided. This has uh, a really good shot of being a very close game. I've picked Houston to cover on HQ consistently and throughout the all segments I've done. I'll stick with it here. 
But I feel like the one thing about Baylor that hasn't been brought up too, too much, well, there are two things. The first being that Baylor is not turning the ball over in the NCAA tournament. It only has, and a credit to stud SID David Kay, I did a feature on him that ran on Friday. I will put it in the podcast description. He is truly one of the best. Uh, Please give that a read, but he provided this note to me. Baylor has seven live ball turnovers in its last three games. That is obscenely low. Only 19 turnovers total its past three games. Can it possibly keep that up here? That's going to be a big ask against a Houston team that's quite clearly elite on that side of the floor. The other element, we, we've talked about Houston's offensive rebounding because we should, because it's, it's unnaturally uh, taught and has an instinct to do that in a way that you just don't see with other teams. But Baylor is also a really good offensive rebounding team, and it's been that way for a while. Now, it, it hasn't been as good on the defensive end, and it's going to need to be good on the defensive end to give itself some separation. But Scott Drew, for you know eight seasons running here, has had a team that is ranked top 10 consistently and even a couple of times in the top three in offensive rebound percentage. That's the case again this season, even though Baylor is not as big man dependent as it used to be, Parrish. So when I was when when I was prepping and really kind of just trying to look at the the teams and the matchups there, and, and I do find this game fascinating. I think it's got a really good shot at being really close, and that's all we can ask for because we'll get to the next game when we get to it. But clearly, we would think if there's going to be one that's going to be close on Saturday, it's going to be this one. I just haven't heard anyone really talk much about the fact that Scott Drew still has this team really really good on the offensive boards. Thirty six point six percent of its misses it grabs. That's number seven in the country. Houston ranks second there, so it might be a battle of. Who's the be- who's the team that that gets more second chance points? And if it's not, and even if Baylor isn't that good, number one three point shooting team in America. That's why I think it has the slight edge here because it can shoot the three so well, and it offensive rebounds extremely well. Houston, if you're wondering by comparison, as you listen, it ranks 113th in three point percentage. That's pedestrian. It's not terrible. It's not amazing. It's just kind of in the middle there, and it would need to get. You know, unusually hot to be able to keep up with with Baylor in that kind of game. I expect this to be decided in the mid to high 60s, I think. I think most people understand that, that Baylor, like you said, ranks first in the country in three-point field goal percentage. What I think is even more impressive than that is that their top five scores all shoot at least 40% from three. So it's not just coming from one place or two places. They can hit, hurt you, you know, from with five different people from that three-point line. You know, obviously, Jared Butler, Maceo Teague, Davion Mitchell in the starting lineup. Mitchell's at 45%. I mean, Matt, you want to know why he's about to be super rich? Like, National Defensive Player of the Year who shoots 45% from three and is a top-shelf yep. athlete. Yeah, like, that's uh, that's lottery pick stuff. So, the, the fact, you know, so, so you get Butler, Teague, Mitchell shooting um, f- at least 40% in the starting lineup. And then off the bench, Adam Flagler and Matthew Meyer, both shooting at least 40% from three. So uh, that is one of the ways that Baylor hurts you from the three-point line. But, and it's funny you mentioned the offensive rebounding because we, the hour that I was on the CBS Sports Network practice show today was the hour that Baylor was on the court. So we talked a lot about Baylor. And um, we ran a clip of Scott Drew um, in an interview he had done earlier in the week. And he sort of said, like, what you just said, like, listen, Houston's unbelievable. 
in, in terms of offensive rebounding. You know, they're, they're uh, you know, top two in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. You know, they're, they're grabbing 39.8% of their own misses. He said, but we're seventh. You know, we do it too. I mean, maybe we don't do it as well as they do, but we do it pretty well. And when you combine that with Baylor's um, defensive turnover percentage of 24.7, which ranks third in the country, that's how they create extra shots. You know, Houston is not pretty when it comes to trying to score on each and every possession. They don't shoot well from two. They don't shoot well from three. Um, but but they do have an efficient offense, top 10 in the country in adjusted efficiency, according to Ken Palm, because they create so many extra opportunities that create so many easy opportunities. Well, Baylor does the exact same thing. You know, Baylor does shoot an incredible percentage from three, but they also, more often than not, are going to get more shot opportunities than their opponents. Why? Because they're top 10 in, in offensive rebound percentage, and they are uh, top five in defensive turnover percentage. This is a really, really, really good basketball team that's got, you know, a few, multiple future NBA players on it. You know, Matthew Myers, an interesting weapon. Um, you know, Adam Flagler, I think, is very important. He only averages nine points per game. I thought this was interesting. I looked it up earlier. In the two losses, Kansas and Oklahoma State, um, he, he went one of eight from the field in both games. Hit four points in one of them, three in the other. They are undefeated, Baylor is, when Adam Flagler scores in double digits. They don't need him to score in double digits to win, but like when he does, they've never lost. And in the two games that they lost, he was terrible, combined two of 16 shooting. I'm not saying you pin those losses on a you know rotation player off the bench, but it is something that was noticeable. They got nothing from him in the two losses. That is noticeable. Um, I, I think that... There is a chance that this gets out of hand for Houston, but I don't lean to go that direction because the way that Houston and I and by the way, actually, real quick question for you: Do you discount Houston's chances in this game because of the road it took to get here? It didn't have to play a single digit. I don't know if we've talked about that on the pod. What are you? What are your just quick thoughts on that? You, you know, Houston doesn't have to apologize for playing Cleveland State, Rutgers, Syracuse, and Oregon State. Uh, on the way to the final four. Um, that, that banner that they're going to hang is going to hang the exact same way it would have hung if they'd have beaten, you know, a, 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 a seven seed and a one seed to get to, you know, and a, and a three seed to get to the final four. Banner's going to look the same. But we can acknowledge that, that they didn't have to play the same type of competition that a typical final four team um, has to play to get to the final four uh, when you combine that, that they also didn't have to play the same type of competition in their league, you know, because the AAC only had two teams in the NCAA tournament. And, and though we now know Memphis was like legitimately good, the 31st at Ken Palm right now, they just won the NIT, um, you know, Mem Memphis, you know, was unranked all season and, and not an NCAA tournament team. So I think if you look at, at Houston's, uh, resume they beat you know texas tech very early but they did beat them by double digits and that was sort of an announcement like hey this here's kelvin samson gonna be really good again um but to answer your question specifically outside of that they didn't really beat any any you know teams that were consistently ranked this season if only because they didn't have the opportunities to play them the bracket unfolded the way the bracket unfolded houston can't do anything about that 
Um, it is it is worth acknowledging, but no, it doesn't make me think less of Houston. I, like I had Houston in the Elite Eight, no matter what, no matter what the path would have been, and I'm not surprised they, you know, are in the Final Four. Like we talked about on a previous podcast, three of these four Final Four teams have been top ten at Ken Palm basically all season long. Houston is legit. Houston is capable of winning this game and playing on Monday, and the fact that it had a relatively easy path to this point doesn't doesn't move me off of that really at all. Yeah, it doesn't move me either. It's a big moment for that program. It's a huge moment for Kelvin Sampson, and it is a significant turn of events for that conference, which needs to have these kinds of things happen to keep the American Athletic Conference in that discussion of being a power conference, if you will, uh, kind of sitting at the at the same table as the Big East or the Pac-12 or you name it. Houston can't alone carry it, but uh, that's another subplot to all this. I don't think I don't want to I don't want to present this as though I, I feel like everyone's dismissing Houston because I don't think that's the case but it does feel like because Gonzaga and Baylor have been the two most predominant programs for most of the season and trust me Michigan and Illinois entered that conversation rightfully so uh, once we got into the heart of Big Ten play and once we got to say mid-January or so but from end of November up until past New Year's it was Gonzaga Baylor everyone else they were supposed to play in December that didn't happen Um, it feels like people are are hoping to see that and understandably uh, Gonzaga Baylor would be a, a dream to cover I, I can't pick Baylor to run away from this. If they do, they do. Wonderful. But I'll, 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 I'll say Houston keeps it close, but Baylor, you know, my official pick here before we move on to the next game, I'm going to have Baylor win a close one, but Houston does a good job at keeping them under 70. So that means it's going to be a, a three or four point spread, in my opinion, when the game finishes. So somewhere at the long lines of like 69, 65. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I think Baylor wins the game. I think Houston covers. Uh, for what it's worth, the, the Ken Palm projection is Baylor 72, Houston 71. And the actual point spread, as, as it sits right now, is Baylor minus five. So significantly bigger than, than what Ken Palm would project for, for whatever that's worth. Um, I, I think on Monday night, the, the best story we could get is probably Gonzaga-Baylor. You know, because it's preseason number one against preseason number two. Like, that does not happen very often. And... I, you know, our, our CBS Sports All-American teams published earlier today, and I was sort of, I was tasked with writing the lead for that. So I went back and looked at the preseason. Do you realize how predictable the All-American teams were too? Yeah, I had to write the caps. So I wrote the, I think I wrote the intro for the the awards, the big awards, player coach and all that. And then I wrote the capsules for the five All-Americans. Okay. So I went back and looked. I think I've made a, a, line, a joke, a line in there. Like, we're not taking too much credit. We freaking nailed this. I mean, maybe yes. it's, I don't know if the pandemic helped this, like the best players stood out or whatever. We had four of the five. This has never happened before. This is not normal. The, and the only one we didn't get, Drew Timmy bumped up to first team All-American status, as we talked about on this podcast, because of the way he had played in this tournament that got him there. It subsequently, weirdly enough, uh, someone had to get squeezed out and it wasn't just you and me doing the voting. Uh, Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell are both second team. And in effect, they were probably, they were vote getters six and seven. So they just missed out. Timmy's on there with Kispert, but yes, four of the five in the preseason are four of the five on our end of season, all American list. Right. It was Luca Garza, Io DeSumo, Corey Kispert, Kate Cunningham, and then our fifth preseason All-American first team was Jared Butler. He is now on the second team. Uh, my team, I, I bumped Kate Cunningham to second team, and I had Jared Butler as a as a first teamer, but the votes shook out the way they shook out. I just thought that was pretty remarkable that we're on the verge of having preseason number one versus preseason number two, perhaps, in the national championship game, and the All-American teams look 
basically the same that they looked in the preseason and the preseason national player of the year, Luca Garza became the postseason national player of the year. Like I, I don't even think we've ever come close to something like that this season, at least at the top of the sport, you know, we had some wild, uh, wildly unpredictable things, Duke sucking, Kentucky sucking, but you know, Gonzaga and Baylor being here was predictable. Those five players being awesome was predictable. Um, it, it really did play out, at, again, at the top of the sport, the way it looked like it was going to play out in, in, in November. We will get to the second game, Gonzaga-UCLA next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So after Houston and Baylor is completed, uh, we'll have one more game to play on Saturday night. It'll be Gonzaga against UCLA. It's Saturday, 834 Eastern, inside Lucas Oil. Gonzaga, minus 14. The total is 145.5. Deadleg, what's more likely? UCLA winning or Gonzaga winning by 25? Gonzaga winning by 25. Agreed? I think so. Come on now. I mean, listen, I, we, we can get into our UCLA act here in a minute if you want to. It is hard for me to come up with an intelligent explanation for why this is going to be a competitive basketball game. I just don't think they're UCLA is not very good defensively. Like they're tough, but they're not very good defensively. And I don't, they're, they're good offensively. I, I just don't know how they keep up with these guys. I mean, I, after just watching what we just watched, I don't know how they keep up. I, I mean, I, it's a basketball I, game. Let's acknowledge that I first. Know, I know, anything's possible. It's 40 minutes, anything's possible. We watched UMBC beat Virginia one time. But it's hard to, like, from a strategic standpoint, sit down and go, well, let me explain to you how UCLA is going to win this game. It's yeah. just hard to figure out. Hakeem Dermish, our uh, wonderful uh, CBS Sports HQ anchor on the ground here in Indianapolis. I'm about an hour and a half removed from having done a hit with him. And he his first question to me at my most recent hit on the set was, what weaknesses Gonzaga have that UCLA can take advantage of? And I said, there isn't one. I would love to be able to sit up here and tell you that there is one. I'm just not seeing it. I'm not. Gonzaga is the much, much better team on offense. It's the much, much better team on defense. It has the bigs. It has the guards. Uh, it, it doesn't have, you know, a crazy amounts of depth, but that's overrated. It doesn't even matter because UCLA can't even match that anyway there. 
Um, they're just, Baylor, Baylor only plays seven players, by the way. Yeah, like it, depth, depth does not matter at this point. No, it does. It doesn't matter, and it's it, it definitely doesn't matter with the teams that we have in this in this final four. So, statistically, Gonzaga's worst stuff is it doesn't block a ton of shots. It's not a team that forces a lot of turnovers. UCLA, conversely, like it's pretty good at at shot selection, and it's not going to turn the ball over too much. Like, I don't think Gonzaga is going to induce UCLA into 18 turnovers in this game, but you need, uh, you need multiple routes to get to where you need to go in this game. If you're UCLA, Mark few, by the way, is our national coach of the year at CBS sports. Uh, Luca Garza is our player of the year. Kate Cunningham is our freshman of the year. And Mark few, uh, as he should be, he is undefeated. Congrats to Jawan Howard. I think he got the AP. He got one of them. Uh, and he did an amazing job, but yeah, yeah, he got one of them. And Jawan was incredible this season, but I think when when Mark Few can't win National Coach of the Year unanimously every award in a season where his team is undefeated, been ranked number one the entire time, has multiple future lottery picks, and has won twenty nine of its thirty games by double digits, like we, you have you have lost proper perspective for what's going on in Spokane, Washington. Yeah. Like, just because Gonzaga has been consistently great for a while doesn't mean it should not be properly appreciated and acknowledged that they're freaking 30-0 and 0 with 29 double-digit wins and beating the, the brakes off of everybody. You know, uh, setting, like, being awesome at a, a million different things. Like, it, that's the coach of the year because he built that thing. I don't care that Gonzaga was supposed to be good and Michigan was picked to finish wherever in the Big Ten. Like, he built that thing at a small private school in Spokane, Washington. Give him all of the Coach of the Year awards. Stop being stupid. There we go. Um, you see, the number's huge. It's the biggest uh, since at least 85, apparently. You know, 14 points is what Gonzaga's given here. Um, and UCLA has done a, a great job in, in beating the teams it's defeated to get on this, uh, to get to this stage. Uh, Mick Cronin. I, we don't even need to do the bit. He has done an incredible, incredible job, and quite clearly they're going to try and do a, and hit a lot of the same beats that they were able to do against Michigan. You're not holding Gonzaga to 49. You're not holding to 59, and I, it would be a minor miracle if UCLA can hold Gonzaga to 69. Nice points in this game. you got to try and keep them under 70. It, it's, it's going to be a huge ask. You need to be aberrationally good from the field, and UCLA is a quality offensive team, but it just can't be Johnny Juzang. You need two things and once to happen here. You need Johnny Juzang to, again, go for more than 20. Like, if you tell me Johnny Juzang has 11 points in this game and I, nothing else about it, I'm guaranteeing you UCLA is losing. That the, He needs to be awesome again. And then they have had players, five players average at least nine a game. I'd get pretty close to saying you need all five and double figures. And if it's not all five and double figures, then uh, the Jaime Hawkes johnny Juzang duo might need to single-handedly combine for close to 50, if that's not going to be the case there. Tiger Campbell, also, his head-to-head with Jalen Suggs, going to have to have probably close to the best game of his life. I kind of have a feeling that this is going to be the Suggs game. Now, to be fair, I predicted that it would be the Suggs game against USC. It wasn't. He was good. He wasn't great. This could be the game where... Like, Suggs might show up. Like, Timmy's been the best player for Gonzaga in the tournament. But this might be the Suggs game right here. I want it to be close. This is the second game. I want two close uh, Final Fours. I have not seen it yet. Gonzaga was pushed by BYU, and then it flipped a switch, and it's still won by 10 points. I'm not seeing it in the tournament. I'm not picking them to not cover the spread until I actually see it happen. 
If they don't cover here and they're playing either Baylor or Gonzaga, we can talk about that on our preview pod when we get to it. But I got I got Zags big. Uh, I got UCLA having a little bit of success slowing this game down and keeping them below their... They're at 92 a game, the Bulldogs. Number one scoring team in the country. I don't have them hitting 80. Give me Gonzaga 78, UCLA 62. I'm, a, I'm in about that realm right now. Like, here's the problem. They just played USC and carved them up completely. Like, could have scored 100 if they wanted to. And USC is actually a great defensive team with a great defensive player inside the arc. And it didn't matter at all. And that's the problem with trying to to figure out ways to upset Gonzaga if you're UCLA, is that, you know, how do upsets usually happen? Well, they, I mean, let's be honest, go, go back to UCLA, Michigan. That was technically an upset. Michigan missed like seven of their last eight layup attempts. Just missing layups. Gonzaga doesn't miss layups. They shoot 64% from two. Um, well, okay, how, well, you know, th- this team upsets Alabama. Uh, you know, how does that happen? Well, they limit them, you know, UCLA upsets Alabama. Well, they limit them in three-point attempts, only allowed them to take 28, and then they only made seven. And so, you know, UCLA got that done in overtime. Well, Gonzaga's not reliant on the three-point line. They'll limit themselves because they'll just get easier shots in transition or easier shots um, inside the arc. So it's like these things that 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 UCLA has taken advantage of in in the past two games to upset higher seeded teams. They're just not really things you can take advantage of against Gonzaga. And so, I mean, I would be fascinated to sit in the coaches' meetings and like and 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 hear them try to try to game plan this. Because it was very clear against Alabama, they had a game plan. I mean, of course they had a game plan, but it was like we're not going to let them take thirty-five threes. We're, we're gonna we're gonna limit them. They're going to take fewer threes than they want, and then we're going to hope they're not hitting them, and we're going to contest and make them not hit them. And that that's the way we're going to beat Alabama. I would I would love to know how you come up with the idea. This is what we're going to do to beat Gonzaga. Outside of it's the Johnny Juzang show. Go get fifty. And and, and, and his coach. And if there's anyone that can do it, Mick Cronin, greatest coach in UCLA history, sure. can pull it off. But I, 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 it's funny. I thought about this exact thing last night. I was like, I wonder when, like, when it's Mick and his staff, like, how honest are they being about this situation? Like, they're going to game plan to win. Of course they are. Mick Cronin believes he can win this game. But are there moments when they're looking at tape and they're scheming and they're? It's just a moment of brutal honesty where it's like, guys, like how in the world are we going to do this? Like this seems, I, I just wonder if, the, if, if, the, if those moments of like just behind closed doors, it's just them in the room where, where he's like, this is going to have to be a perfect game. Cause it feels like that going in, even for the great Mick Cronin, of course, Gonzaga is beatable. Every single college team is beatable. This is the final four. It's a new level of pressure. But we just haven't seen... I mean, Gonzaga did what it did against USC. And from an up-close and personal perspective on that game, Parrish, it's a joke how it looks like they're going at... They're not even in fifth gear, basically. Like, they are able to just dismiss good teams like Oklahoma, Creighton, and USC in this tournament... And I don't even feel like there has been a seven or ten minute stretch where I'm like, 
this is unreal. This is this is on par with 09 Carolina and Vegas and 90 and 91. Like we might see that and cuz now you're getting down to like the end of these guys' college careers. They've been they've been really really good. I just don't feel like I've I've seen Gonzaga at warp speed yet. Maybe we see against UCLA if not potentially in the biggest game of the season, the last one on Monday night. The one thing we were in studio the other night talking about this. And I was in there with Ryan Hollins who was on the 2006 UCLA Final Four team. And the one thing he said was when he watches Gonzaga, they look too comfortable. Like they're just fly, they're just like flying around, getting wherever they want to go. And he emphasized nothing dirty, nothing dirty, but you need to hit them early and just let them know, like, we're here. Okay. We're not, we're not as good as you, but we're here, you know, and, and hit them like not these, these transition layups, like send somebody to the free throw line. Don't let them get that layup. Let them know you're there. And, you know, my counter was, yeah, and then they'll probably make both their free throws and and then go on a 12-0 run. And he said, yeah, maybe. You know, he knows how good they are. But he he did think a prerequisite to to even trying to upset them is to get really physical with them early and let them know we're not just going to let you fly around the way you flew around against USC, the way you flew around, fly around against basically everybody. Like, we're going to make you – we're going to make you do this a different way. And, and that's the, the, the thing about the way the season's unfolded. Nobody or very few have tried to make Gonzaga do this a different way. Like Virginia couldn't slow them down early. And Virginia is famous for slowing people down and just couldn't do it. Like one of the more in, incredible things about a Tony Bennett coach team is that they dictate tempo. They make you play. And they just couldn't do it with Gonzaga. They couldn't do anything. And so it, it's, a, it's a big ass. What it honestly reminds me of, and then we can get out of here, if you go back to the 2009 title game, North Carolina, Michigan state. And I remember on that Sunday before Monday night, you know, the coaches have availability and Tom Izzo, you can probably find this on YouTube somewhere. He was asked, you know, about the challenges that North Carolina presents. Cause this is that Tyler Hansborough Carolina team that, you know, was rolling through everybody. And you mentioned like you, you wonder if Mick and his staff have like this moment of honesty where they go, man, what, what are we going to do? Like, how are like, listen, we'll game plan it and, and then we'll implement our game plan and we'll go play. But like, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem workable. Um, Tom very publicly, you know, said something along these lines. He said, listen, um, if they play well, we can't beat them. That's just the truth. We're not as good as them. He, he said, he said, they've got, you know, a better coach. Uh, they've got a better team. Now, whether he was being honest about that first part, who cares? But he was just making a point. He said, they're better than us. And if they play well, we can't win the game. So what we got to do, and we're pretty good at this, is we got to make them not play well. And then we got to play out of our minds. And if both of those things happen, then, then maybe we got a shot. But he sort of acknowledged from the jump, we're not as good as them. And if they play well, we're losing. And then, of course, the game unfolds and they lose 89 72 they get ran off the court like, like everybody Good else Good night. but that but that's what this reminds me of it, like you know if gonzaga plays its c-level game i think it wins the only combination of things that leads to a ucla upset is gonzaga just really being awful in a way that is very rare um, as it pertains to the season and then you need Juzang going off and you need UCLA having a Villanova 85 moment. You know, like you mentioned 85 earlier. You know, Villanova shot 79% from the field in that championship, you know, to beat Georgetown. They shot 79% from the field in the national title game. 
I'm not saying UCLA's got to shoot 79% to win, but like it'll take something. The only way we're talking about a UCLA win late Saturday night is if they do something wild on the offensive end of the court and or, and probably and more than or, Gonzaga just turns in its absolute worst effort of the season. I, I'm with you. Like, I don't it's, – it's Gonzaga minus 14. If you made it Gonzaga minus 17, I'm still probably laying the points. I, I think yeah. Gonzaga wins the game by 20. Yeah, right in that range. Um, all right, I have good news. Who <laughs> knew that if you – by listening to this podcast, you would have a chance to win a 65-inch television. That's right. CBS Sports and Westinghouse – are teaming up to give away a 65-inch TV to celebrate the end of college basketball season. Go to cbssports.com backslash ioncbb, cbssports.com backslash ioncbb to enter. The contest ends April 6th, so don't put this off. If you're listening now, Friday night or the Saturday of the semifinals, get it done. CBS Sports backslash ioncbb, no purchase necessary, 18 and over, U.S. only. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again. Listen to the Iron College Basketball Podcast, middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Woo. Can't even go to St. Elmo and get a steak because it is pandemic. I ordered I ordered Harry and Izzy's two nights ago. DoorDash got it done. It was worth it. I'm going to do that. Like either, probably not tonight, but like maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow's the games. Sunday night. There you go. I'm gonna get a steak and a shrimp cocktail. Oh, so but good. So was it good. great? It was it great in your room? Yeah, it was. You know, it's not quite the, but it was. Yeah, just in my room and just uh, right, right, right to the sinuses. Just a, a seven seconds of deep burning. It'll get you if you're not ready for it. And it'll probably get you even if you are ready for it. It's a little bit like Gonzaga in that way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So it's going to get you. It is just stupid. This whole thing just the worst. We're, uh, the, yeah, it would see, take us. It would take me. Th- it would take me three minutes to walk to your hotel and hang out. It's not going to happen though. No, it's, it can't do it. it can't allowed. do it. It's allowed. Sean McManus will come in here. Sean McManus, if Sean McManus catches us in, the, in a room together, it's over. It's can't, over for us. Can't have it. <laughs> At least it's over for me. I can't be blowing up my career to hang out with you. I just go sit here in my room and. Watch baseball. Oh, God. Stupid Uh-oh. pandemic. All I wanted to do on Thursday night was watch Jacob DeGrom pitch. Not happening. Stupid Nationals. Got like nine players in quarantine. Can't even watch the Mets. I can't go to St. Elmo and I can't watch the Mets. And then the, CD, the CDC came in today. You see this? They said, um, hey, if you're vaccinated... I am fully vaccinated. They said, uh, if you're vaccinated, you're free to travel now. I said, cool, because I've been traveling. So that's good to know. And then they came back and they said, but you shouldn't. And I'm like, what are we even talking about? Why do you tell us we can if you don't think we should? You don't think we should? You tell us, tell us, we sh- tell us not to. Don't tell me to do something to tell me I shouldn't do it. That doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't. None of this makes any sense. By None the way, I'm going to give a quick shout before we get out of here. I was talking to an unidentified Ivy League coach who loves the podcast more and more. He goes, that guy, just, he talks about the pandemic at the end of every episode, though. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. He's, but he's like, I'm, sort of, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to like this podcast a lot. You guys got a good thing. But end of, at the end of every episode, he's just talking about this pandemic. I'm like, I don't know what you want me to do. I this is, this is part of the rhythm. Like it. It's the worst one. It's the worst one. 
I never, if you told me right now, rank them, rank the pandemics, this is the worst one. I never seen one like this. Jesus. Just want to go to St. Elmo and watch the Mets. Just sit, that's my dream to go sit down in St. Elmo, maskless, have a steak and watch the Mets on my phone at a table for one. Can't do any of it. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe, subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Go do that, and we'll talk to you late Saturday, early Sunday, after the national championship game is set. Till then, take care. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.